audit for me was strong financial statements. You're auditing public companies to make sure that those financial statements are accurate so that their shareholders can trust what they're reporting. Then I'm like, man, no one likes the auditor. I'm walking around with a clipboard. No one wants to talk to me. They're turning their chairs. It's not a good environment. You're really their adversary. Yep. You're their tax guy. You're their best friend because now you're coming around and you're saving them money. They see the value that you're bringing to them. So midway through my career, I switched over to tax. And I'm like, all right, this is the good side here. And that is where I truly can just sum it up to it's a game. It really is. Again, you're going to either have to educate yourself on it, but that'll only take you so far because it's such a specialty that you are going to have to work with somebody that really knows it and not only knows tax, but knows your industry. Too many people are just generic in who they pick to do their taxes when they should be really interviewing who they hire to do their taxes to see that they handle clients in their similar industry and stuff. Welcome into the show, Matt Von Traeger from TrueBooks. How we doing, brother? Good, man. I'm happy to be here. Well, you know, I don't know too many people that can make accounting and CPA work cool and fun and interesting, but you've found a way to do it, brother. So I'm excited for the conversation today. And, you know, I think a lot of people are always focused on making more money versus, um, how to save more of it and and be as strategic with that as possible and how important that is as a business owner and just as an individual that's making money in general. So we got a lot to unpack today, but for those that don't know who you are and kind of how True Books came to to be, you know, where it all started, maybe uh, take us back a little bit. Yeah, so little bit about me. I'm a CPA, uh, born and raised in Vegas. I'm in the thick of being a dad right now too. I have three young kids. I have a four-year-old and twin two-year-olds. Um, but I took the pretty traditional path. I went to college, tried to do the pro baseball thing. That did not work. So I was like, all right, I got to get something in school that makes sense. So I really was drawn towards accounting and business. And I just love the flow of money. I'd worked at a bank at the time. I worked at Wells Fargo. Um, and then, so went into accounting In accounting, they preach that you go to the big four. So you really, you just try to land at one of the big four accounting firms. I ended up doing that. And then I always stayed as an accountant. You can choose, you can go industry or you can go public public. I like, cause you're servicing a multitude of clients. You're not sitting on one client. If you go industry, you're like for Vegas, you're going to go to Caesars or MGM and sit in the back and be like a revenue auditor or something. Yep. And so, uh, good pay, but just not the best environment I think to be in. So I stayed in public. And then after leaving Deloitte over at the big four, still stayed in public and worked at other firms and got a variety of just experience in other industries. Um, and then I would slowly start. So with, when you're an accountant and you want to show any sort of sign of doing it on your own, you slur, like you slowly moonlight and will grab clients on the side doing their bookkeeping work, their tax work, if they don't want to go with the firm that you're obviously at. So I was doing that. And come 2018, uh, Ryan Pineda, uh, he was a local real estate investor here in Vegas, was posting online that he needed a bookkeeper. And um, I'm like, oh, dude, this is easy. So I DM'd him and uh, actually didn't get a hold of him the first time. And then after just being persistent with it, we ended up trying to meet. That fell through. Then ended up meeting with him and his sister, uh, his COO. And then uh, things went great. So then I was his bookkeeper. And then uh, things quickly progressed to me doing their tax work as well. And then he was having, he owned a brokerage at the time and we were at one of his like Q3 and parties or something. And this had to be like Q3 of 2019. And I'd made a joke to him like, Hey man, we should start a firm together. I'll run the firm as right. The licensed CPA, you can kind of be the face and help drive business. 
And he was, of course, like, okay, let's do it. So then I quit my job December of 2019, started the firm 2020. I was a little nervous, right? I just had my first son in 2019 in May. So I'm like, oh man, like accountants are very risk adverse. So if you look at my path, I went to college. I got a solid just W-2 role. I was consistently working my way up this ladder, um, was just now in the management range. I was making probably close to 90 grand. So things were going well. And then uh, just kind of like jumped off the cliff in 2020. And it's been a wild ride since. We're going on our fourth year and... I just heard that stat the other day where they say like 90% of businesses fail within the first 10 years. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I felt like I've like made it through some sort of thick time, but I'm like, I'm still a newbie dude, four years in. So anyways, that's like a fast forward path of uh, kind of where I've gotten. And then recently I've really tried to grasp onto social because I agree with what you're saying. Most accountants, I think are just really dry and it, it is, we're dealing with dry concepts, really just sure. boring legal jargon. But if you can bring some sort of... um I don't know, candor to it and make it not seem so boring and then really show people how it helps them. I think they really like like it, you know, and are attracted to it. So that's kind of my uh, fast forward of where I'm at now. So now I'm in the thick of it, growing the firm. That's I love it, man. It's yeah. it, it. Why I love this story is it's a, it's a perfect example. And I think affirmation for a lot of people that one, one relationship or conversation can change the course of your life. Right. And, you know, obviously you pursued a couple of those conversations, but you really leaned into something that now, you know, you've got some, some freedom and some flexibility. You're grinding your butt off, of course, Mm -hmm. but you're able to be a present dad, build a business. You're not sitting in a, you know, smoky, uh, air conditioned room in the back of Caesars, you know, doing uh, (laughs) reconciliations. And I think Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's a testament, right, to that entrepreneurial spirit. And I think a lot of people, did you ever see yourself as an entrepreneur? Because I think a lot of people have desires to go and achieve more, kind of break free of some of these constructs that maybe aren't serving them or have been around for a long time. And obviously, like you said, risk averse, not necessarily you know someone that initially was pursuing an entrepreneurial path. And yet, I think a lot of people have that bug in them somewhere. How yeah. did you exercise the confidence and, you know, kind of lean into that identity as an entrepreneur and as a business owner when initially that didn't seem like it was a part of your identity? Yeah, I, I think I feel like I always had the itch, but I was very clouded by that risk mindset. Mm. Hence my history of staying at these jobs and just consistently working my way up the ladder. You start as a staff, senior, manager, and that's the path and maybe to partner. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but I think what really helped ease that risk thought or that cloud was me slowly starting to grow my book of business on the side. I think a lot of people think that if they're ready to make the jump, when they're going to make the jump, and I mean going from W-2 to being self-employed, I feel like if they can slowly start to integrate that while they're a W-2, that's the best way to do it because then you're not purely jumping off the cliff and building the plane. You have some sort of like structure at least and you're getting the feel for it as if you really like it. You know, if I work at a full-time job as an accountant and I have five clients on the side and it's really just becoming a headache, I don't like having to do the billing, having to do the admin, having to do all of that, then maybe you're starting to get the taste that that's not for you and to stay in corporate. So I think that's what really helped me was I was slowly starting to build a book on the side and was thinking, man, I would much rather sit here and just work on one client a day and make more money than working on five to 10 clients a day working for someone else because I'm getting such a small piece of that pie. I'm an employee. Yeah. Um, And so I think that's what helped me was slowly building 
And then obviously, like you said, one relationship, he changed my life. Meeting him and having that happen, that was the catalyst to now saying, okay, it's go time. Because what I think about this all the time, what would have happened had I not talked to Ryan, I would have stayed on the path and maybe in the next four to 10 years left. And I would have just had a bigger book on the side. And then I would have, my book for context was maybe 40 grand worth of tax and accounting work before I left. Yep. I probably would have built it to 80 to 120 and then left and just had a little bit more of a cushion. So, but I'll never know. I don't know. So that's where you're right. One conversation completely changed my life. And that's where I'll always forever be grateful for that. Like that was huge for me. And it sounds like obviously you, I was going to say, what do you say to the person that, you know, is concerned about taking the risk? And you kind of talked about it, right? Kind of mitigating that risk along the way before really taking the leap. But I think also there's something in this story that I really love, which is a lot of people just want to have the lion's share for themselves and do it Mm -hmm. by themselves. And I always love the quote of, you know, if you want to go further, faster, right? You do it with a team. And so you decided that you wanted to partner up with Ryan, right? And I think a lot of other people might go, that might be a good path for me as well. Mm -hmm. What did you do to position yourself as somebody, Ryan, or for somebody else, right? That might have somebody in mind in their world that they may want to partner with. How did you position yourself and what did you do to make yourself as an attractive partner? I'm sure Ryan just didn't say, oh, this dude on IG hit me up and I think I'm going to go and invest, you know, my time and energy and brand with him in this business. What did you do that others can learn from on how to kind of connect some of those dots with a potential partnership? Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Yeah, dude, that makes me want to go five different ways. But so this is a really good example. Ryan and I were the perfect definition of I made up what he didn't have and he made up what I didn't have. He had eyeballs and influence and network. I had brains, backend and operations. So we truly were not running over each other's lanes when we were working together. He was simply sending the business to the firm. I was handling the business. So I think what really helped Ryan decide to go into this with me was he was already a client of mine before. So he could see my expertise for being an accountant, for being a bookkeeper. 
So he's probably thinking in his head, man, I'm getting really good service from him. I know other people need it. He was a real estate investor, knew a lot yeah. of people in the real estate space. That's our space. And so he obviously is thinking, I get hit up for people all the time that are asking me who my CPA is. So for him, it made a ton of sense to say, hey, and of course, any smart businessman, you want equity, you want to become a partnership. It's better than just maybe sending business that way. And so yeah. um, that's why for us, it made so much sense. We It was a pure definition of we brought to the table what the other person didn't. Because now all the time, I see accountants talking about partnering up. And what do I see? They both don't like sales and they're both back-end ops people. And I'm like... Mm -hmm. Well, what, you're just going to run your own businesses together, but there's really no need when you think about what you're doing. You're going to be doing the same work. So I think making sure that you're truly making up for what that other person is lacking. And again, me personally, and this could work with anybody, if you're good at something and you find one of your clients and your client can bring to you, for my example, eyeballs and network, then that's why it made sense because they got a taste for how good I was, we'll say. And then now there's a business opportunity for them because they have the network and the influence and they can send it to me to do. So that's what I think helped. And again, just him being a client of mine is what really helped. But to your comment too, of like going further faster with a team, I learned that the hardest way. For the first year of TrueBooks, I did it all myself. And it was like draining. Oh my gosh, it was so, I was so scared to hire an employee. Our biggest cost in the professional services world is your people, yep. the labor costs. Everybody's out of college. They all got degrees. Some of them are licensed. So they all want good salaries because it's that consistent work. Now, when I see it from the owner standpoint, they're that risk adverse employee that I was that okay. has a good knowledge bank. They want to make a good W-2 and they want uh, they just want a good environment to work in. So um, that was another big learning lesson for me too, was like, do not do it yourself for so long. You're going to have to, to learn some aspect of every part of the business, but you got to hire people quicker than you think. Absolutely. So yeah. talk about accounting. Why yeah. accounting for you, from your perspective, why is it so important? And why do so many people neglect this area of their life and their business when it comes to finances? Dude, it kills me. So <laughs> when you think of accounting, what I would hope people think about is that it doesn't necessarily mean tax, right? Accounting and tax are very different. And the reason I'm drawn to it, the reason I love accounting is because it's true. I think Warren Buffett said it. It's truly the language of business. And so yep. you're right. If you're not a business owner in any sense and you don't care to be, then I think what, what accounting should mean to that person is their own personal finances. What am I making? What am I spending? So many people are not in tune with what they make and spend. And that alone should be their definition of accounting. I'm not going to run a business, but I'm going to be very comfortable with knowing my financial position. And so that, right, like, well, so what drew me to it is that, yes, it's the language of business. I feel like everybody needs it. I know it's a business that will never go away. Those were that risk adverse mindset. It'll always be around. I'll always make at least a hundred grand being an employee somewhere. And then again, just knowing that anybody I shake hands with now, especially doing tax, I can do business with. Yep. But what I think it is, is for the individual that's not, not a business owner or going into that space, you need to be in tune with your finances. If you're a business owner... Now you really need to start considering the tax and accounting. Accounting being the financial health of your business. Again, income, expenses, debt, all of that. And the problem that I see is now, especially being in the space since I've been in the space since college, you would be shocked to see how many people are good at making money. But then you ask them, can I see a year-to-date like profit and loss? And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, oh my gosh. So when somebody like me, who's so risk adverse and I've done so much book work and I'm like, what? Like, 
I rather, I want to switch places. Like, how are you making so much money? Like, I want to make a ton of money, but I'm worried about counting it. And they're, they're not even in tune with that. They're just focusing on making it. So, and, and to now see how much further they would be if they really had a stronghold on their financials is insane. So for a business owner, it's not only your personal finances, but it's now the financial health of your business mm -hmm. that I think more people need to focus on or hire somebody to do it. That's how I met Ryan, yep. right? It's either you're going to do it yourself, somebody on your team is going to do it, or you're going to hire it out. Um, and then we get to that third component, which is tax, which is I actually started an audit. So accountants, you have to choose audit or tax when you leave school. Audit for me was strong financial statements, right? You're auditing public companies to make sure that those financial statements are accurate so that their shareholders can trust what they're reporting. Then I'm like, man, no one likes the auditor. I'm walking around with a clipboard. No one wants to talk to me. They're turning their chairs. It's it's not a good environment. You're, you're really their adversary. Yep. You're their tax guy. You're their best friend because now you're coming around and you're saving them money. They see the value that you're bringing to them. So midway through my career, I switched over to tax. And I'm like, all right, this is the good side here. And that is where I truly can just sum it up to it's a game. It really is. And it's, again, you're going to either have to educate yourself on it, but that'll only take you so far because it's such a specialty that you are going to have to work with somebody that really knows it. And not only knows tax, but knows your industry. Too many people yeah. are just generic in who they pick to do their taxes when they should be really interviewing who they hire to do their taxes to see that they handle clients in their similar industry and stuff. So that's how I look at accounting. If I zoomed out a ton, it's like, all right, individual, know your budgets, know your money, know your expenses. You're a business owner. Same thing now just for your, your personal self and your business. Yep. And then if you're a business owner, you got to take that next step into really understanding tax. Because as you said... Sure. I, I honestly think one of the best ways to increase wealth is to focus on making more money, not necessarily saving. But when you really see how much money, how much more money you would have by saving through tax, it's crazy. And yes. so I like to really just, it is a game, but there's a lot of rules and that's where you just need, you need somebody to fill that gap for you. And yeah. so that's how I look at accounting zoomed out now for my it, life. It, I early on in my journey was great at the money-making part. <laughs> and it was always the, oh, no worries. I'll just go make more money, right? And then when you really start to see how much money you're giving away and what that could be used and knowing as an investor ROI, the lost opportunity cost by giving that to the government, because they're obviously not doing a whole hell of a lot with it, except you know sending it to places that I don't necessarily feel aligned with. Yep. Now I'm saving more of that money playing, as you said, the game at a higher level and using that to actually go out and build wealth with the money I'm saving. So I didn't learn all of those lessons, though, until, like you said, I started paying professionals to do what they are good at. And over time, right, you learn just through osmosis and being in proximity to what good people are doing. Yep. What are some of those mistakes that you see entrepreneurs and business owners making with their finances, with their taxes, that just by shedding, you know, spotlighting them a little bit more can help serve them in a way that can maybe create some course correction with a professional like yourself? The first one is bookkeeping. So coming from a strong financial auditor background first, I have a love for financial statements. I could look at a balance sheet and in 10 seconds know the health of a business. And not that a business owner needs to focus on that or someone that's self-employed, but not only one, are you not going to make the best decisions for your business by not knowing your numbers, but two, you are losing so much money if you're not doing accurate bookkeeping because let's just take simple math. 
if you're in the 30% tax bracket between federal and state and you yep. are not tracking your money and you miss out on $100 of deductions, that's $30 of additional tax you're paying. So a lot of people think tax strategy is sexy and you can do all these, these cool planning techniques, which you can, but so many people that come to us can't even get to that level of conversation because they don't have a P&L. They go, hey, can I send you my bank statements? And I'm like, oh, it makes my brain hurt. Because you're like, <laughs> no, what that means is you got to get your transactions categorized. You got to have something yep. in some sort of categorical manner. And that is honestly the biggest mistake. No one even gets to that point. And that's why I tell people, if you can get there, you're nine steps out of 10 there. Because now all you need is that professional component to have somebody come in and help you, like you said. Yep. Um, so that's the first piece, doing your own bookkeeping and being in touch with your financials. If I can talk to somebody and say, hey, for the first six months, what did your business do? And you can at least rattle off to me what the gross was, what the net was, you're in a good spot. Yep. But if you're like, eh, I don't really know, then it's like, okay, that you pause, you're right there. That's where you need to go research. And then the second step is, I think people, and maybe I, I'm sure like me and you maybe did, maybe not me because I'm an accountant, but in some aspects, I've done this for sure, hiring professional help too late. So like I tell people, the second you need to hire in the tax and accounting space, a CPA, EA, or someone that's specialized is when you're self-employed or a landlord. We focus in the real estate space because it's just truly where you get most tax advantage. And so hiring somebody too late is can be really detrimental. We see people all the time come to us. And for like easy example, they stroked a check to the government for 150 when in reality, they could have bought two or three more properties and paid zero. And it's like, whoa, would you rather have 150K sent to the government or have two or three more properties added to your portfolio? That's a zero brain question. Like, yep, that's yep, no brainer. So, so that's where, uh, those are my two, honestly. And I, it's every stage talk I do, anything I do when I'm networking, I always roundhouse it back to accounting. Because again, tax is cool, but there's only so much you can talk to about tax because really that's our job on the back end. I'm not going to bore the client with what they need to do. But it's the accounting, you know? And it's like, you're going to hire somebody, you're going to do it yourself. You need to do your accounting. And you yeah. will be not only one, refreshed with what you see and feel much more in tune with your business, um, but you're going to like, you save a ton of money. Save yeah. a ton of money. Yeah. A lot of people um, feel anxiety and like stress around their finances, right? They almost and avoid all, it. Yeah. And oftentimes I find it's just because they're just not clear on their numbers. And if if whether it was better than you thought, worse than you thought, just by having clarity in your numbers, it puts you in the driver's seat of yeah. your, you know, we'll just call it your financial car with both hands on the steering wheel and you can make the best decisions. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be people swerving in front of you and you might be switching lanes and doing this, but at least you feel like you're in control. Whereas most people are just in a tailspin. They just, they can't wrap their heads around their finances. And I remember one of my very first mentors said, you know, there's, there's many things that you can and should delegate in your business but the one thing that you should commit to mastering over the course of your entrepreneurial or business journey is understanding your P&L and your balance sheet at a really high level. So you talked about how you look at things, right? As a pro, I know you've looked at so many uh, P&Ls and balance sheets and, you know, cash flow projections and budgets. Talk about how you look at those and how do you kind of dissect going through a P&L and a balance sheet and maybe just keep it high level one-on-one yeah. for somebody that maybe hasn't looked at a P&L and a balance sheet before, but are, there are certain areas of those statements, right, that are important to spotlight and look at and what do they tell you? Yeah. So the we're going to talk two main statements. Anytime you talk financial statements, the main two are a balance sheet and a profit and loss. 
Profit and loss, I immediately am scanning for, does the presentation look right? Do I have my income and revenue up top, then my expenses, and then my net income? My eyeballs immediately go to net income. Are we in the red? Or are we in the black? I still like to say green, but I get why they say black. But right, so am I in the red or the black? Am I making money or am I losing money? That's my first, okay. Yep. Then I start to eyeball, does anything stick out that just looks abnormal? Are one of my balances 10X of something else? Because then I'm kind of leaning towards, is the accounting done wrong? I'm trying to look for quick mistakes. Yep. But really it's presentation, income, expenses, net income, that simple. And again, if business owners just looked at that, they'd be so much further ahead. The now, right, so that's the P&L. But the real health of a business is on the balance sheet. And so that's why I always say to accountants, like, you know, a good accountant when they want to see the balance sheet first or can analyze a balance sheet. So for those of you that don't know what a balance sheet is, a balance sheet is showing your assets, your liabilities, and then your equity. The best way I can put this is when you think of your own home, let's say you buy a home for 500,000 and you put 100,000 down. Your your balance sheet would look like this. You have 500,000 in assets, right? You have 400,000 of debt and you have 100,000 of equity. So notice there's an equation in four balance sheets in accounting that assets equal your liabilities and equity. Because if you think about it, the way you get your assets is through debt or you putting money towards them. So that's the best way to break that down. And so when I look at a balance sheet, I think first presentation, is it listed right? Is it coming from an accounting software? Did they try and just make this? But then I go into, are your assets more than your liabilities? Are you right? Like, so... Um, and then, right, maybe some nuances to like cash on hand. Are you owed a lot of money? Do you owe a lot of money? Stuff like that is the first la- like layer that I'll look at with a balance sheet. But And it changes per industry, right? So if I'm looking yeah. at a flipper, we deal in real estate. So flippers, huge balance sheets, a lot of inventory. They're buying a lot of properties. So um, yeah. And, and like, that's where I say too, like some people hearing this may think, oh man, like, you know, there's two statements, balance sheet income. And it's like, if you could just focus on the income statement, like you said, get your hands on the wheel and get a grasp of what's going on there and yeah. don't shy away from it. I think honestly, most people would be happy about it. They'll feel happier and more clear-minded, ready for what's coming at them um, if they just get to that layer. That's where I think with a balance sheet, you just need an accountant really to help you put that together. Yep. Yeah. And I think for me, it's it, it, it felt like such a proactive activity in my business that gave me more confidence and power to make what I thought was the next best financial decision for my company based on the goals that we're trying to achieve. And so that's why I really have leaned into just mastering these statements, right? Because they are such an empowering thing for any business owner. And I know that there is rhythms and kind of routines around maintenance and upkeep of these sheets and analyzing them and getting, you know, advice and feedback on them. What do you suggest for a business owner in terms of how often should, you know, they be looking at their P&L and their balance sheet? Who should they be talking to about it? Right? Because that's also something that I felt really sharp in my axe was like, you feel a little naked and transparent, but at the same time, it was such an empowering exercise to be having discussions and conversations around my PL and my balance sheet. And every time I had one of those, it got a little bit better and I would make little adjustments and tweaks in the business that then would show up later on the PL or the balance sheet, right? So talk a little bit about what, what do you suggest as like a healthy rhythm and approach for how to stay intimate with your PL and your balance sheet? 
At a minimum, so our clients, we offer accounting. At a minimum, by the 10th of every month, we will send them a PL and a balance sheet for the prior month. So they're seeing the trends. If they want to see a month over month, if they just want to see how they did in the month. So I would say at a minimum monthly. And this is where when you talk like rhythm and cadence of how to do your accounting, I'm a huge fanboy of QuickBooks. I'm not affiliated with them, but just it's it's an easy software to use. Yeah. And so um, if somebody wants to do their own accounting, they literally can do it in you know five to 10 minutes a day. Because as we know, you're just categorizing what transactions are. So as far as the upkeep of your accounting, I think it should be a daily thing. It's just like when you hear people say, you know, you should log right log into your bank every morning and see what cash you have. I don't think that's a bad idea. That's a real quick reality check that whether it puts you in a good mood or bad mood, you have the data. Mm-hmm. Um, so rhythm and cadence, I think daily or weekly for doing the upkeep to make sure these financial statements are accurate and up to date. But then at a minimum monthly, you have to be reviewing them just as you said, because... And that's why it shouldn't be so much of a scare to people to do this because if you think about it, we're just dealing in the past. We're not, like you're not even facing the future yet. You're just getting the data organized from what has already happened yeah. to then see what you want to do going forward. And I love what you said. You're going to run it for January. You're going to make some tweaks, cancel that subscription, fire this employee, hire this employee, do some marketing here. And then what do you know? The next month or the next quarter, it reflects in those financial statements. So you're truly getting the feedback from the decisions that you're making if you keep up with this. So monthly at a minimum, though, they got to review it monthly. And and maybe switching over from kind of the accounting side to the tax planning side, when should people be thinking about how far in advance should they be talking with their CPA or thinking about tax planning to save as much money and to play the game at the highest level that they possibly can? The latest you should reach, so for context, the latest you should be reaching out to your accountant for this year's planning, 2023, is by end of August. Because the problem would be they already have clients that they work with. They're consistently taking on new clients if they are, some aren't. Um, and so the, the problem with tax planning is we can talk about what you need to do, but you need time to make it happen. So if that's setting up entities, getting agreements in place, moving money around, buying assets, selling assets. So it's the implementation side of things that can take a while. So that's why I say, honestly, any time in the year prior you should be planning for the next year. So that's where we have clients that we're already planning for context 2024 with in early 23. So it's always a year ahead. But if you're already in Q4 of that prior year, you're running real tight because you just, you're losing time to make these things happen. And again, you're losing the availability of your experts' time because they're dealing with other clients. So it's a very proactive uh, service that I think business owners need to seek. And like you said, I think they need to be timely and when they're doing it, which to me again is any time before Q4 of the year, just because Q4, not only are we planning for clients, but you're getting tons of clients emails saying, I need to make my estimated payments. What's my projected tax liability? All of that. So um, if you really want to get in and have that amount of time that's appropriate, I would say anytime before Q4 of the prior year. So for context, if you're trying to plan for 2024, get to somebody before Q4 of this year. Talk a little bit about what should people be thinking about in terms of a budget for accounting, right? A lot of people think it's going to be some insane, you know, line item that's going to be too costly. And so they shy away from it. 
Yeah. Some people just don't allocate enough funds to have proper counsel and, you know, that role filled. So talk a little bit about how business owners should be thinking and approaching uh, a budget for proper accounting and tax planning. So let's think here. So if and I know we, it's different, right? For it is totally. The client, I can give context too for us too. So I think that for tax returns, for context, we're at about a thousand or two thousand per return, but that's a little bit higher end price point. You should be able to get your tax returns done for, let's say, you're self employed. You have an S corporation. For those of you familiar with that term, that's a separate tax return. Then you have your individual return. You should expect to pay one to three thousand bucks, one to four thousand, depending on who you're yep. going to, how specialized they are, how complex your work is. We right. definitely have people that have one S corp, one S corp, but this person's fee is five, this person's fee is two because yep. the complexity of the work is different. So I'd say one to four grand is a fair estimate. May I'd say closer to like 1500, 2000, but that's for the preparation. So what I want people to get familiar with now is the old version of doing accounting is you go to your accountant, you send them your documents, and then you see something on TikTok four months later and you're like, hey, accountant, why didn't you tell me about this? I think I can do this. And they're like, well, you don't pay me to do that. And sure, but now let me look into it. And then they bill you separately for it, like hourly. At our firm, for example, we bill every, like if you want to do tax preparation, which is just filing your returns, we do that. If you want the advice and the planning, we do that. If you want accounting, we do that. We're very segmented depending on what the client wants. Yep. So if you want that advice piece, for context, we charge five grand no matter what, no matter who the client is, how big they are. Some firms will charge you, I'm not a fan of this model, but they'll say, they'll spend an hour with you and say, hey, I think I'm going to save you a hundred grand. So my fee's 20. And I'm like, the problem with that is what if you don't save them a hundred grand and you charge them 20? Yeah. So that's where I think for the advice piece, plan to pay probably the same one to four grand, one to five grand, depending on how complex your situation is. Yep. Do you just have an LLC and then you run as a, like a sole member or do you have trusts and LLCs and rentals and partnerships and all of that? So um, again, for the advice piece, one to four grand. Um, so let's say in reality for the tax preparation and advice, you're probably around three grand in, three to four grand in. Um, and then if you want accounting, this is where it's usually a monthly service. You pay yep. monthly. Uh, they deliver financial statements to you. And then you also should be able to have a call with them every month. Go over your financials, make sure that they're accurate, make sure that they're coding things correctly where you want them. Yep. Um, and I've seen that service range from honestly like a hundred bucks a month to our minimum is 700. But we have clients that we charge 5,000 a month because we're yep. basically their full-time accountant. So for that, I would say 200 bucks a month with so that 24 a year. I love it. So yeah, so 2,400 bucks a year for your accounting. And I'd say maybe three to five grand for your tax work when you're... And I would say you're an okay size business at that point. You're not a lemonade stand yeah, to get yeah, that right. work, yeah, you know? Yeah. So you're running, you know, a business that could be doing a couple hundred grand in revenue. You even have an employee or two. So when I think, like you said, I think a lot of people that run a mid-sized business, a hundred to 500 grand in revenue, maybe, um, they're thinking they're going to shell out 10 to 30,000 bucks for accounting work, which they're not. And let's keep in mind, all of that work that you're paying for, so let's say it's a total of five to seven grand, should save you 20 plus. So the ROI should literally be, you should 10X what you're paying your accountant. That's where we look at, and we always like to say our value prop is, we're a profit center for businesses. We're not, you know, just at like a cost center where we're a sunk cost. We don't do anything for the business as far as the top line. We should be, your accountant should be saving you a ton of money, much more than what you're paying them for sure. 
Yeah. But you need to pay for the advice piece. Because if you just want them to prepare your returns, I'd say go to TurboTax. I used to to say that's where you're going to get the most ROI, right? Is on those specialized uh, services, conversations, consulting. Yeah. What talk about is there, from your perspective, any new IRS code that's changing that's a good thing or a bad thing for? you know, investors and entrepreneurs to be paying attention to in the near future. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, This is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Yeah, so some of the so the Tax Cuts Job da- Jobs Act, what Trump passed back in 2018, 2017, 2018, some of those are sunsetting. So for example, depreciation is this Mac Daddy sort of tax, um, not loophole, but like tax strategy that we use, right? When you buy assets, you can basically write them off at accelerated rates. Yep. Um, and so that what used to be 50%. When Trump came in, they made it 100%. So it was, oh my gosh, go out, buy all the assets you can, whether that's real estate, vehicles, equipment, studio equipment, whatever. Um, And it was 100%. Now, this year is the first year that it's sunset to 80 and it is sunset to zero basically by 27. So that is one of the things that for a business owner, we need to be really mindful of. A lot of people are freaking out that it's 80 when I'm like, relax, it used to be 50. 80 is still a win, you know? Um, So those are things that are sunsetting, but... Um, no, but that's the thing too. Like you mentioned, things are constantly changing, which was always that like, all right, well, I'm always going to have a job here, you know, until they get this postcard tax figured uh-huh. out. <laughs> um, but no, nothing else uh, major, but the depreciation piece, if you're in a business that buys large assets or again, like equipment or real estate, then you really need to focus on that. So, yeah. and, and do you think based on what administration gets in, in the next, um, you know, election cycle that that could still be on the table to remain or... Is it sunset no matter what? So it definitely will change. My guess is it's never going to drop below 50, but um, because by then something else will be passed basically. But right. then again, it could go to zero and then take time to you know come up to some sort of rate that they agree upon. But yeah. my guess is it won't drop below 50 again. And if it does, quickly after, will it bump back up? Will it go back up to 100? I don't know. That's, yeah. that's, you don't know. But you're definitely depending on right the administration in the office. 
So I'm going to wrap it up with a couple, two final questions. One is on audits. What are some of the things that people do that get them into audits that they could easily avoid? Or on the other side of the coin, right? What are some of the common practices, uh, best practices that people are doing to avoid getting audited? This is a hot one, dude. Okay. So what's funny is we just got a letter yesterday from a client. Um, and it said that the IRS is basically holding on to the refund until they do further review of the return. To me, that maybe says that they're going to flag it for examination audit. Yep. One of the things is don't use round numbers on your return. So if you're self-preparing your return and you do, and you do like a TurboTax, or if your accountant says, hey, send me a P&L and you send them a P&L and you have income, 10,000 on the dot. Meals and entertainment, 5,000 on the dot. $1,000 on the dot for office expenses. Terrible. Because what is the likelihood of that to happen? Yep. Very unlikely. So having round numbers on a tax return is a big no-no. The other one is uh, simply misspelling sometimes. So that's where a lot of people think that um, they can just sign off on their return. It goes back to their accountant and then they file it. They should be doing a review of the return. I get it. It's tax forms, but try and read the names and spellings of you, your family, and things like that. Your job, yep. right on the statements and make sure that things are spelled right. That's an easy one. Um, the next one is a little bit more nuanced though, but for people listening that are self-employed, when you're self-employed, you will file what we call a Schedule C, which all that is is a separate form that goes on your personal tax return. You're not filing a separate tax return for your business. Think of it as a profit and loss statement on your personal return to tell the IRS what your business did. Filing a Schedule C has higher audit risk than doing an S-corporation, which is a separate return for your business. And so what I want people to keep in mind there is when it makes sense to move to an S-corp is when your business is about netting 50 grand. So we see too many... And so where I'm going with this is we see too many people still staying. I've seen a real estate agent make more than a million dollars net on a Schedule C. Not only is it crushing him tax-wise, yeah, just like from a bad tax perspective, huge audit risk though to run a business... Schedule C, I like to say, it's like lemonade stand style. You're small business. You're small, small. You're just starting out. You're maybe a yep. photographer that does it kind of part-time. So I would say when you're at that 50K net income mark, go talk to your accountant or your CPA and say, hey, is it time for me to be an S corporation? Because that is another big high audit risk is that you just have too much business activity on a personal return. Um, but other than that, no. Because this is where if you are selected for audit, keep good documentation. Like Think of it as you're sitting across the table from an auditor and you're going to, they, they ask you questions and you're showing them if it comes down to a time log, which is big in real estate, show them a calendar event, put something on your calendar, show them a receipt, um, show them an invoice for something that you got. So um, document, document, document is huge in the tax world. And so with data being so cheap, scan it, throw it on your computer, call it a day. Love it. So those are kind of my, my, my biggest tips because those are honestly where most of them are drawn from. If you're getting audited for something usually other than that, it's a little bit more complex that maybe ends up being fine. It just looks quirky to the IRS. And so we have, that's where your CPA comes right alongside with you. They help you fight it and then you go through it. So, so some easy, great tips there on how to avoid audit and maybe some good best practices. And as we wrap up, I'd love to know what you believe are some of the best proven kind of tax loopholes that are bread and butter. People should be consistently looking at taking advantage of these and they aren't. Okay. So we're going to cover one. It was the one that I posted on Instagram and got me like this huge, it was like my mini viral post. There we go. So, and it is, it's a great strategy. So I'm going to try to sum this up as easy as I can. So real estate 
prior to this loophole, you had to be full time in the business of real estate to really maximize the benefits. And the max, the overall strategy is this I'm going to buy real estate over here. And on paper, real estate loses money because of depreciation. So, what I mean by that is you have your income, your expenses, your property taxes, all of that. And then let's say you cash flow about three grand on a property. But then you get depreciation expense, which could be 200 grand. So if you hit that depreciation expense on that PL, that's an expense. It's going to drive you to, let's say, a loss of 200 grand. So on paper, you're losing 200 grand, but you really cash flowed like, let's say, three grand. Yep. So I have this huge loss over here of 200 grand. The ideal strategy is hey, I'm a manager at a department store. I run a small business, but I made 200 grand over here, right? And the ultimate strategy is to get those to net out to where you pay zero because now I've made two, I've lost two, and I get to net those. Prior to this loophole, you had to jump through a lot of hoops to get that net to happen or else it was it, it's impossible. Now what it has allowed people to do is people like me who are not full-time in real estate, I work with real estate investors, but I'm not considered what is a real estate professional. Yep. So here's the strategy. If you buy short-term rentals which is defined by having a rental property that has an average rental period of seven days or less, okay? You are what is considered to be not a rental property by IRS definition. So you're not hit with those same rules. So as long as I buy a property that is short-term rented for less than seven days on average, and this is the and, and it's not an or, it's an and, I have to do both. All the TikTokers forget this one. Mm-hmm. You have to materially participate in the property, which means you have to manage it. You can't hire a property manager. I know it sucks, but for, for the first year though, you're getting crazy tax benefits. So this is where that's the trade-off. You're managing it. You're furnishing it. You're maybe not cleaning it. You can hire a cleaner, but you're going to furnish it. You're going to buy it. Uh, you're going to list it on Airbnb. You're going to manage the bookings. And that exact strategy could happen, which you could buy a half a million dollar property and on paper lose 50 to 150 grand. So think about that. If you're a W-2 employee at 80 grand, you're usually going to get a refund for a thousand or 2000 bucks. Yeah. You go out, you buy a short-term rental. You now lost 50 grand on paper. Well, you made 80, you lost 50. Now I only made 30 grand on paper. And my refund that was normally a thousand is 6,000. So just something like that. Yeah, could be huge for and so again, prior to this little loophole, they called the short-term rental loophole. You had to be full-time in real estate to make that happen. Just to drop out some names like Kiyosaki's, Cardones, Trumps, that's what they're doing. That's that's the game of real estate. And so it allows people now that are not full-time in real estate to do that. And so that that's the biggest strategy out now. And do I think that will be ended like that will be overturned? Yes. Because it, it it's not what it's intended to be by the IRS. Yeah, so yeah. when they catch on to it, which they will, it'll switch, I think. Yep. So that's just one example, right? There's so many different loopholes out there and having an expert like Matt on your team is obviously a key way of, you know, taking advantage of those. So Matt, I know we only scratched the surface, brother. Uh, That being said, I know a lot of people are probably going to want to check out True Books. They're going to want to follow you, maybe your viral moment on TikTok and and, in the future ones that I know are coming Um, and, you know, reach out to you guys, learn more about you, your services, all of that. Where's the best place for them to do that? So Instagram, I'm still pretty heavy on Instagram and like, you know, I'm in my own DMs and that's at Matt Bontrager. Um, And then if you want to check out services and just really how we work, that's our website, truebookcpa.com. Cool. And we'll we'll link all of that up in the show notes, millionermindcast.com on Matt's episode. Matt, thanks for coming on the show, man. 
Hey, thanks, man. I loved it. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're also going to get entered in to win a $100 gift card. Don't forget to share this episode out with somebody else that may need to hear it or may get some value from what was talked about in today's interview. And for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey, you want to unlock more financial freedom, you want to get more time back, or maybe you just want to level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to MillionaireMindcast.com and check out all the amazing products and resources that we have for our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, downloads and checklists, the Rich Life Planner for those of you looking to take your goal setting and productivity to the next level. We've got all kinds of great, valuable tools, so be sure to check those out at MillionaireMindcast.com. And last but not least, if you're not on my weekly text letter and you want to be the first to know of exclusive updates and offers in addition to behind-the-scenes access to a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, that I'm investing in, be sure to join by texting the word NOTES to 844-447-1555. With that being said, thanks for listening today. Until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends. Cheers.